Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat, make them squirm to tell us all of their most vital and important secrets so we can win better. I'm Ron Collins, general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I've got Charm City GM Brandon Slock here with me in the BBA Network Studios. I love saying that, BBA Network Studios. Wish I'd have been doing that all the way from the beginning, but what the heck. Brandon's been with Charm City since its inception. Its inception, I can actually talk, as an expansion team back in 2029, so five very good years. Welcome aboard, Brandon. Very happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. The BNN Studios, they're cozy, a lot more cozy than I thought they'd be. Once you become a league director, you get like all the all the cushy, plushy stuff. Yeah, I like it. So, you know, the benefits of being a league director never never end. <laughs> <laughs> so Charm City, let's see, you came, uh, we're in t- 2034 for those who are unfamiliar with the BBA and why would you be unfamiliar with us? But just in case we're in 2034, Charm City came in as an expansion team in 2029, 71 wins as an expansion team, uh, 80 the following year, been in the playoffs three times, first expansion team of the four to make the playoffs, first expansion team of the four to make the Landis. That's pretty uh, a, a pretty ambitious uh, jump there, Brandon. <laughs> you know, no offense to the other GMs, I felt the easy route would be to try to load up on prospects and play the long game. But looking at the talent that was going to be in the BBA expansion draft, but since we had our pick, uh, the EBA players, you know, I just I just saw an opportunity to be able to compete pretty quick. And uh, like you said, first one in the playoffs and, you know, barely got in in 2031 um, in game 163, where uh, Mendez, who pitches for Jackson, and now threw no hitter against New Orleans to get in. That was kind of a <laughs> kind of crazy. That was super crazy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you think that the that the basic uh, philosophy that you had during your expansion draft is what fundamentally made the difference between your profile and some of the rest of the teams? Yeah, I don't know if we have anywhere in the forums where the draft, at least of the EBA, was. But I know I was the fourth pick um, out of the four teams. And I know the picks in front of me were some of the younger, like, Munchen prospects that were like 16, 17 years old but had crazy potential. And uh, like I said, I had the fourth pick. I really wanted uh, Lacaz, who went to uh, who's at well, was at Huntsville forever with Havana now, right. but they went right in front of me. I think to Twin Cities, who flipped them to Huntsville. So that's when I took Logan and Banner. So what do you think as far as the current expansion that's going to be happening uh, with the two teams in Boise and Wichita? How do you see that different? If you were sitting in their seats right now, would you have a similar kind of mindset? Well, they're going to have a lot less talent, I would think, because they're not going to have the whole EBA to uh, choose from. You know, the EBA had its own farm system with a bunch of solid prospects, and then they got to, to pilfer the BBA team. So we had a lot more to choose from than these guys. And it's funny, too. I was looking back today through the, the expansion process last time, and there seemed to be a lot more disagreement and maybe not argument, but debate in some people's cases, argument on how it was done, because you guys got to protect a lot more players, but we got to pick more. Uh, I, at the end of the day, I think every time that a league expands, 
there's always uh, gnashing of teeth and great consternation about who's going to lose what and, and so forth. I don't think there's ever an expansion draft process that doesn't get in the way of the existing team's plans. Well, what was kind of crazy about it, though, is the most of the argument was that us expansion teams weren't getting enough talent to pick from. Which I think, and I saw, I commented at some point and thought 25 players was a lot to protect. But, you know, looking back, yeah, it was a lot to protect. But again, we had a whole different league that we got to pilfer from before you guys got to do anything with. And if we look at the expansion draft this time, uh, we're protecting 19. I think the number is going to be, um, and we'll lose three. So we're going to lose players theoretically 20, 21, and 22, assuming a perfectly efficient choice of who to protect and a perfectly efficient choice of who to take. Right. And I do think there could be some, you know, they could get some decent AAA guys that maybe haven't had a shot or probably a couple of solid prospects available. And, and I know even that they were even saying there's probably going to be some big contracts available, but if they're not long-term contracts, they're just a lot of money and they're decent players. And why wouldn't you take them if, if you feel good about them? Yeah. So do you think just as a gut feel, do you feel that you would, uh, if you were ex- uh, drafting in the expansion process today, do you think you would have the same kind of idea around compete as quickly as practical? Or do you think you would be trying to build a deep set of kind of semi-process? I think it'd be the latter this time around, just because, you know, again, the EBA not only had talented players, but they were already basically major league ready, some of them. So, yeah, I would think I would probably try to build deeper. So let's uh, let's turn the corner here. And uh, I mean, to heck with all this expansion stuff. I mean, we're sitting here literally four games away from the end of the season. Uh, there might be a sim that actually drops while we're talking. And if that happens, we'll break in and have a real time take on exactly what happens. But right now, Charm City is sitting, what, a game and a half behind Jacksonville? Yep. Jacksonville has five uh, against San Antonio. Charm City has four against New Orleans. Normally, you would kind of sit back from the outside looking in and say that Charm City's got a much tougher road to hoe, but New Orleans has just lost their third baseman to injury, and um, I don't know. That's an interesting interesting race there. What are, what are your thoughts right now sitting there in the middle of it? I mean, basically everything you said, it's interesting. <clears throat> I wish we could have done better against certain teams, I guess. Uh, you know, I'll say it. I know Aaron and I have been going back and forth a little bit. <laughs> Lately, um, he's the only one who's really beaten up on me. I know, I know Tyler chimed in with his run differential, even though he was seven to six on me on the season, but that run differential was in about three games. So if, I mean, all I had to do is win one or two more games against Aaron where we would, he would still win the season series and I would be ahead now. So that's the only thing that bothers me about being back a game and a half, but we've made a a hell of a run the last month and a half or so. I think it was five or six games when the run kind of started. And it was the schedule softening up, but I mean, everybody else already played all those teams. We just so happened to get them at the end of the year and we just took advantage of it. Yeah, I always think it's fun to watch the ebb and flow of the of the schedule play its way out as teams go through the different gates at different times and and whatnot. The the league kind of around the, uh, I mean, let's just face it, around the, uh, around the horn, the league has not always looked at Charm City as being as strong as they appear to look. And as strong as they are right now, I mean, the first half of the year, I think a lot of folks were just basically kind of saying Charm City doesn't 
you know, is discounted <laughs> Yeah. as far as that goes. I've been excited about talking uh, about having this conversation with you because I'm interested in the way that you kind of put your team together and what your general philosophy is. Because when I look at Charm City, what I see is a team that is just good at everything. <laughs> Right. I mean, other than you mm -hmm. take Winston, I mean, obviously you've got like the, the best power hitter in the league right now in Winston. But if you take him out, you still got a team that's kind of in the top four, three, five of almost every kind of category that you have. Is that something that you sat down to build on purpose? I, I believe in having the most well-rounded team I can build. I mean, it doesn't matter with what players I can do it with. If it's some guy who, you know, I know was mentioned, Espinosa, like he was not that great for, I think, I think Havana was talking about him and I, I saw him in free agency. I just gave him a minor league deal and I was like, I'm probably gonna need a fifth starter. I loaded up a minor league free agents and I was like, all right, let's see who comes out of it. I, I'm, I try to have depth at AAA. I try to, you know, of guys that maybe are undervalued by the rest of the league, guys who've had success in the upper minors, maybe a, a touch here in the majors, but also have struggled or had a hard time sticking to a job. I, I believe in having those guys at AAA to fill in your gaps. So that's what I've kind of done this year with some of these guys. But of course, I have great players like Salazar. He was a guy I gave him the big contract. Uh, I know Steve or back before he left in the last media guide kind of bashed it, but was like, oh, expansion team giving $30 million a guy. Oh, what, what, what is that? <laughs> and to me, it's like, I have all this money. I got all these guys who aren't going to be getting paid for four years. I plan to compete soon. This is, this is my guy to put the league on notice. I'm signing him to put the league on notice that I'm not going to sit back and just let you guys beat up on me. I'm going to get the best players I can get. And the EBA players worked out. You know, Benner's one in Nebraska. Uh, he's a really good pitcher. Logan's been solid. And then guys like Sal, like I said, Salazar. Anderson was our first pick. He's turned out really good. Uh, the Backstrom trades turned out real good. I just find creative ways to fill the roster. I, ideally, I'd love to have a loaded farm like some guys, but I just haven't gone that route right now. I enjoy looking at your team. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Maximo Quezada, uh in center mm -hmm. field, they're, uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't know that most people who are paying attention to the league would sit there and say Maximo Quezada when you try to list your top three or five center fielders in the league. But the guy is a, is a Zimmer Glove candidate. He'll pop 30 home runs a year, 25 to 30 home runs a year. Uh, yep. Sometimes I think his OBP and some other things like that uh, are a little bit uh, questionable, but that actually... It seems to me that actually ends up making him a value because you're probably not going to have to sign him to a $15 million contract. He falls under the undervalued, like I said before. Everybody's all, you know, I like I like OBP too. It's not, this is not me saying I don't like it, but I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, that guy doesn't get on base. I don't want him. Guy hits 30 home runs and plays gold glove defense. I want him. There you go. I'll find, I'll find OBP and whatever else at other spots. Just like, again, Maldonado playing first base. He's not a power hitter, but I got 281 home runs. He counts for 11 of them. So 270 
from the rest of the team. I don't care if he only hits 11, if he's going to hit 300. And, you know, you mentioned Paul Backstrom, I think quite a deal that created a lot of conversation. And I'll admit I was on a, on a side that kind of said, wow, that's a big contract to bring in. But Backstrom is having what is effectively a resurgent year in Charm City. Is that, I mean, I, I think this is about as much as you could possibly have hoped and expected for him. He's uh, up in the 350 yeah. range OBP, 30 home runs. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he's always going to have some power. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, so that's good, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe you're living a charmed it. life there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of expected he could hit 30 home runs, but yeah, I didn't expect 295 and uh, 342. Um, you know, his contract was a little high, but again, I had the money, and he crushed lefties, and I've had trouble with lefties over the years. So, and he doesn't have to shoulder a load in our offense. I think I was part of his problem. Why I don't think he's necessarily a bad player anymore, as we can see. I think he had a, you know, Hawaii kind of rebuilding. I don't think he had much around him to protect him. Yeah, and I think that's fair. That's a uh, always an interesting way to look at things, too. Certainly, you'll have a guy that you uh, look at, and he's not doing much for a week or two. But if you've got everyone else around him carrying the team at that time, and then you suddenly get uh, this, you know, Backstrom guy step up for two weeks and carry the team all by himself, that's all you really need out of somebody who's like that. Admittedly, Backstrom is a little pricey. Um, yeah, I know. I'm I'm interested in your point of where the team is going financially over the next couple of years. Uh, Salazar's contract will come off the books uh, in a year or so. I think he's got one more year left, if I remember right. I haven't looked at yep. it. Yeah, he has one more year. I um, would assume that you'd be open to the idea of extending him if the price was right on that, but then that uh, starts to break into some other you know, other uh, financial things that are going on. So what are your thoughts looking out over the next two to three years? I, th- I think it would be pretty similar. Uh, this offseason, the first uh, couple Sims is going to be working on extensions more likely because Winston it only has one more year. Banner only has one more year. I, I mean, I would like to keep Salazar, but I have a feeling he's probably going to want the same money he's been getting, and I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's fine if that means he has to go to keep Winston for a couple years and Banner for a couple more years. I, I don't mind doing that. But for the most part, I mean, we got another year or two for most of our main pieces. Uh, Schlongdorf was signed to a long extension, so he'll be around for a couple more years. We got at least another two years of the main core of guys, I, I think. And hopefully I can get some of them extended to make it three or four more. And then with that Salazar money coming off, even extending them, I should have some play money to do whatever. Yeah, you would think so. Like I said, it, this, uh, the Salazar deal, their eyebrows are raised because I was an expansion team, but I, it's been worth every penny to me, especially if the next year or two we, we win a Landis. I mean, we went to a Landis and, you know, we didn't win, unfortunately, but yeah, he's he's been worth it to me. Yeah, that upstart genius got you. Yeah, yeah, the upstart. <laughs> Alrighty, well let me uh, uh, let me take this and put you into the notorious and infamous lightning round hot seat. Turn up the heat and the bright lights and and uh, just kind of throw a few off the wall kind of things at you. Okay. Uh, when we're done with that, I'll graciously turn over the questioning microphone and you can grill me however you want to grill me and and I'll pretend like I know what I'm talking about and we'll go from there. Sounds like a plan. When you start looking at some. Uh, and some attendance numbers and gate revenue. Uh, Charm City is kind of in the upper third on gate, number nine, gate revenue, uh, but only 15 in attendance. Uh, a ticket philosophy, what kinds of things are you doing within your tickets? Is that influencing that kind of a breakout? 
Honestly, I've been letting the assistant GM handle that just because I was, I think I forgot to do something or I was trying to get a feel of how the ticket prices were when I first joined he, uh, the BBA because the ticket prices were a little lower than I'm used to and some other things. So I've been letting them handle it. You know, our attendance is still pretty good. We're not at capacity, but we're close to it. So looking at some of the season ticket stuff, we or not season tickets, but attendance in general and it being down a little bit despite having a better record we probably should lower the price a little bit with the assistant gm doing that are you uh, actually paying attention to what they're setting it at do they change it a bunch do they keep it steady what's the what do they end up doing it's been steadily going up i think a couple years ago it was about 12 it's like 16 now last year it was 15 18 and it's 16 now so he's been up in it a little bit but i might Maybe this offseason, turn it off and either leave it at 16 or lower it a little bit. Let's uh, run time forward uh, about uh, a real-time week or a game-time month. The Charm City Jimmies are in the Landis for the second time in their history. What Frick team do you most want and least want to see? I just uh, well, I don't want to see Louisville again because, one, I, I just don't want to play them again and lose to them again potentially and don't don't want to give that guy another chance to win right now. Like let him get eliminated at some point and go off to Wichita and with his fake mustache. And uh <laughs> I love that fake mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As for who I wanna see, I kinda wanna see Long Beach because I think there's I think he builds his team fairly similar to how I do, based on the GM corner you did with him. Mm-hmm. The only difference that we really had was you know, he does his bullpen more uh, structured, I guess, than I do. Or, well, no, he does it less. It's like less structured, but more structured. Like he doesn't have a closer or anything, but he has the the righty and lefty specialist. So I, so I feel like that could be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I definitely liked uh, hearing Steven talk about that. And I like your hesitation over structured and non-structured because you could either say it's completely unstructured or it's structured uh, more right. strongly than anyone else because he just basically says, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah, Here's the deal, go, right? So any pitcher that goes into the Long Beach staff uh, automatically knows uh, exactly where, where he is going to be. So as we were uh, hesitating, we actually uh, postponed this uh, GM's Corner talk a few minutes because you were on a commute from work, uh, which I know you commute uh, quite a distance from work. What do you like to do while you're commuting? I guess in the morning, stay awake. That's um, always good. <laughs> I, I normally, I mean, if I, if I got a good podcast or something, like I'll, I've, I think I've listened to some BBA podcasts on the ride home before. I, I usually listen to them at work, but if I have some to listen to at home, I just listen to the radio, even though you know music radio isn't very good anymore. So I, normally it's uh, some sort of local sports radio, as long as they're talking about the O's or something. If they're talking about something... I don't care about. I'll just turn on my i you know my iPhone music or something. Nothing really interesting. I try to actually pay attention to the road. I know a lot of people don't anymore, but I try to. <laughs> it is actually the best way to go. Um, let's move into the other league that is beginning to getting ready to uh, kick off here: the FPL, the Florida Prospect mm-hmm. League. Uh, some conversation has been had around the best ways to use this winter league. How have you configured your team? I mean, I just, I try to get my best prospects that I can there. And then guys I want to get a look at, I, you know, I try not to overwork guys 
too much either. I know that was some conversation. Like my rotation, I don't have anybody with over 85 innings, so they basically can go as much as they want. I mean, I have them on a pitch count, but and it's six man, so double, you know, including the FPL, double A down. I do six man rotations with strict pitch counts. Triple A, where I change it to five man, and then I do a hundred, uh, hundred pitch count. And then bats, you know, I just go with the best bats, and I'll I'll try to mix it up if I want them to. You know, it's it's a good place for um get them to learn new positions. That's a good take right there, actually, because I hadn't I haven't really been thinking about it as a uh, learn new positions thing. I've mostly been thinking about it um, as a uh, do you send people there who you're looking to try to flesh out ratings or hoping for bumps? <laughs> uh, but I really haven't been thinking about teaching new positions. Uh, I, I, that's a well done. Why, why haven't I been thinking about it that way? Yeah, it's a good place, you know, because the FPL, you know, not that even the other minor league records really matter, but the FPL really doesn't matter. Um, so as long, you know, it's strictly for development. The The old uh, winter league we had too, I would use it for uh, rehab when we could kind of put whoever we wanted. I didn't put, I didn't go crazy with it and put a bunch of studs, but I knew Arturo Cruz, I had him there one year because I drafted him out of the EBA with Tommy John. And he didn't pitch all year. So I wanted him to go down there and get some innings. So it's good, too, in your minors if you got a guy who hadn't played all year for injury and he's coming back to get him some at-bats for this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Last question of the lightning round. Carlton Winsome started his career at age 26, effectively, really, at age 27. Clearly one of the most impacting uh, hitters right now at age 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall of Famer. If he gets in, it's going to have to be – he's probably going to have to have another two, three years of being dominant like he's been, and then he's going to have to have a couple years of being solid. He probably won't get in for counting numbers. It's just going to – if he gets in, it'll be because everybody would say, damn, he was the best player um, for you know five, six years. He's one of the best power hitters this league's ever seen You know, with his peak. That's the word they use when talking Hall of Fame. What, what was he during his peak? And – during his peak, he's one of the greatest power hitters the league's ever seen. Well, then you have now survived the lightning round. All right. You can take a deep breath and, you know, all the blood pressures can drop down and, and whatnot. I think I've stolen all of your uh, FPL secrets now, so. <laughs> See, it just cooled down a little bit. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the uh, automatic technology, the air-conditioned seat in the BBN networks that we we requisitioned last week. So you're the first user of that one. Man, it's amazing. It's good stuff. So let me turn the uh, questions over to you. If you've got anything you would like to uh, ask me about and I will sidestep and dance around it all. All right. So one of the things I want to talk to you about was you being uh, promoted to league director. Congrats. Thank you. I think I wanted you to give an insight on what you're going to be doing. I think we've seen it a little bit with the, with the participation point stuff. But I mean, if you want to get into it, explain, um, I'm curious exactly what you'll be doing. Is it just, you know, kind of handling participation points duty or is, or you got more, uh, stuff with that? Uh, well, I think particip- uh, the, uh, partition point participation point system, um, is definitely in my job description in helping new owners, new GMs come in, I think facilitating the, the board, I've already been trying to facilitate a lot of stuff with the board already as far as that goes. The, by the board, I mean the forum boards. 
uh, in participation, you know, helping people get to their participation goals, trying to set the culture and different things like that. But I'm, I don't know that that's anything, any, anything really different from what I've Mm -hmm. kind of approached things before. I mean, the the media guide, right. I'm trying to make sure that we get participation from a, a range of people in the media guide over the, over this series of years and things like that. Because to me, it's, it's really important. I mean, I hope you get a flavor of that in the, in these GM corners and other podcasts. I mean, for me, the most important thing about this league is the storylines going on and the people and the the storylines are more than what happens in the uh, computer field. The whole history of the BBA, the thing that I love about it probably the most is, I mean, I love going through all the players and the Hall of Fames and the things like that. Um, But what I find most enjoyable, actually, personally, is just kind of paging through uh, decades worth of forum posts about teams and players and in different things like that. And that's all about the GMs, right? That's all about the human beings who spent their time in, you know, their blood and their sweat, so to speak, <laughs> um, in creating this, um, it's, this really whacked out environment. And so I love that. And, um, you know, I know that as far as operationally, I think that, that what Matt is most concerned about is the participation point system. But what I would hope to be able to uh, do is just make people's lives around here more fun and easier. And, and uh, you know, I put up the little thing the other day about the idea of using speech to text for those people who uh, want to take a little bit of time to um, to play with a speech to text system because it takes a little bit of adjusting to. Uh, but my understanding from working with a lot of writers is that people who don't have a lot of time after they spend a little time time with the speech to text things uh, could get a little bit more production out as long as they're, as long as they're having fun doing it. I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. The, the speech to text thing was, was uh, interesting. I never, I never thought about that in any way for uh, potentially doing stuff. I don't, I personally don't mind finding a couple minutes to type something. I normally, once I have an idea in my head, um, it just comes you know, as you as you know, as a writer, on a whole nother level from me or anybody else, you know, you get something in your head, you just start typing. And next thing you know, it's, you know, you got it, what you want typed out or written out or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. And the skill set to get into a piece is that first three to five minutes of letting your brain just forget about everything else and beginning to talk like or think like the player that you're writing about, right? Or pretend mm-hmm. like you're this journalist in the nine news office writing to mm-hmm. a deadline and and suddenly three things come out of your brain that never uh that that weren't there to begin with they just suddenly show up right i don't yep. know how to describe how that works so anyway that's what i'll be doing on the board anyway that's my thoughts right okay. yeah so everything you said too about going through the forums and everything that stuff i've come to appreciate a lot more since being in the bba i'm in another league and been in other leagues where we you know we have a forum and that has an M chat and the M chat is a lot more active than the forums itself. And I mean, it's fun. The people who write, write up stuff, it's fun to read and it's fun to write it here and there. And when I first started here, I, I did it because of reading um, the article that was put up about the league on the OTP forums. And I was interested in the thought it'd be a challenge for the writing part. And I'd say the first season or two, I wasn't sure if I was going to stick it out just because, you know, not because I didn't like the league. I just wasn't sure about the writing part, but, uh, 
I've come around on it and I like it a lot. It's like, like you said, it's something to get the creative juices going. And it's just the history of, like you said, not only the teams, but the general managers over the years that you can read about and some of the crazy stuff you can read. Yeah. Um, it's really cool stuff. And even if you just narrow the focus down into today, right, the GMs that are here today, uh, the, the stuff that goes on in the forums and around the forums and the podcasts and everything else, uh, to me, everything is, is really opening up, right? Because what you're basically seeing is you've got a group of 28 and now soon to be 30 uh, GMs who many of us have very strong opinions on how we're going about doing things. Mm-hmm. And there is no one right way, but there's frustrations and there's joyous moments and there's glory and there's crash and burn things and how everyone reacts to those different things is what eventually kind of makes up the whole fun part of of the metagame. Yeah. So effectively, you kind of got three worlds going on, right? You've got the raw game, you know, what happens on the computer chip. Then you've got the metagame that we're all creating with the genius and the rivalries and the mm-hmm. uh, whatever's. And then you've got the third kind of real life thing with regular people. If I can, if I can go so far as to call our league regular people, <laughs> <laughs> who are actively striving to understand how to play and win the game. In a, you know, I mean, yeah. we want to win. There's nobody that I've talked to that doesn't want to win. Yeah, it's it's really layered. A lot of layers to, uh, uh, especially this league. Yeah, and almost every on- online league that I've ever been in is quite heavy on the GMs who want to win. And, you know, clearly the game goes on and you're dealing with the stats and all that other good stuff. But the the difference in online leagues is how deep that third metagame goes. Yeah. It, like I think I've said to somebody else, I can't remember whether it was Kevin or somebody, there is no online league that I've ever been in that says that they don't love their history, right? They all want to say mm-hmm. that they love their history. But if you've been in multiple ones, you get a flavor for what does that really mean? It's a good answer. It's a good answer for me, what you said. That's like I said, you know, this this is definitely the best uh league in terms of keeping its history and it's really cool to go back and see some of the stuff that uh has been done. So what else you got? Team options. I asked Matt not too long ago about if they were going to be fixed or or if we could do something about it because I you know some of the contracts I've seen are absolute garbage. I'm just going to say it um, how they're set up. And he said uh, 19 fixes that. Now I'm in a league with 19, but I haven't had I guess much experience with offering out team options. So is it is it fixed where players actually value certain you know player options more than team options or actually want to buy out or is it still the same where you can get away with zero? There's at least two different axes on this kind of AI decision tree, right? One of them is kind of hard coded, and the way I understand it, and I will I will be open to being over overruled by Matt because he's the one who actually does it, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, not overruled, but um, whatever. The way I understand it is we can set, say, a percentage of the contract as a minimum buyout, right? So if you do an option and you set that at 25%, then if you give a $10 million contract for that year, the buyout would automatically be $2.5 million as a minimum. Mm-hmm. I would guess that we will hard code that to some level or not, but I have not heard any conversation from anyone what that level should or would be. And then beyond that, you've got the second axis, which is the AI perspective of would a player ask for more than that buyout or mm-hmm. how much would they value? I mean, let's say that the uh, that the buyout is that $10 million contract, the buyout is $2.5 million. 
Um, if you offer them a $4.5 million buyout, how much will the player value that over a $2.5 million buyout? Right. The answer to that is more, 99% sure of that. But the fly in the ointment is how much more? I, I don't right. I don't really know that. I think that requires sample sizes much bigger than I've dealt with. And that's one of the problems with a lot of these kinds of things is the uh, we deal with anecdotal evidence of what happens to us in season one with 15 players and, until you have a thousand <laughs> kinds of mm-hmm. decisions that the AI, AI has made. You don't really know what is happening or not. But I do think it's good news in that we can definitely close the gaping hole when it comes to buyouts and player options and things like that, or uh, team options with buyouts. But then that second axis of how much will they value things is always going to be a controversy no matter what. I guess the greed of the player probably plays into how much that $2 million really makes a difference. Yeah, I think the uh, player greed uh, plays into stuff. I mean, uh, Brett gave me hell the other day about Angel, Angel D. Castillo right, <laughs> signing my $4.5 million contract, which really I think wasn't too atrociously bad. But, you know, he's a loyal player, and I sunk 70 or 80 participation points into making him a, a loyal slash non-greedy player. Unlike, right. say, Carlos Garcia, who um, right now is asking for like $7 million, uh, which is no way in hell he's going to get $7 million from me. I'm not going <laughs> to, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and right. He's a high greed player. So, you know, that's another thing when we take into account things like buyouts and player options and so forth. We have no idea how much the personality aspect of the game really plays in each of those case by case decisions. But that's part of the fun. I mean, if you knew everything about it, um, I mean, someone like me would be completely happy to know everything about the exact details. But because I, I still find that wonderful and mysterious, mysterious to see what the random randomizer is going to do. Yeah, I remember you you posted something about getting information for, for defense, and I know Brett was like, "That's when we start getting into." getting people info that they'll take advantage to play and you I've gotten purely or just interested in what the turnout is. You don't care about using it to uh, necessarily game the game. I guess you, you more are just like, oh, I wonder what happened with here, but I can understand what he's saying. Cause I've heard of people in other leagues where, you know, they, they figure out the perfect way to set up a team, even if it doesn't look like it. To me, it's no fun to win the game based on uh, some trick inside the game, right? Right. And one yep. of the things that uh, that shows up in my dynamic personally, because, you know, I tend to post almost everything that I do <laughs> right. um, with the idea that if I know something, I want everyone else to know it. Or mm-hmm. to me, it's a more interesting dynamic in that sense, because what I'm really trying to do is uh, show how the game is like baseball and how the game is not like baseball, mm-hmm. um, or at least strikes at a glancing blow in some way or another. Because right, the the goal should be that the game is designed in such a way that baseball logic can be applied in whatever way that you want. And the beauty of that is, is if you look at real baseball, I mean, it's a constantly shifting dynamic of what the best strategies are and. You know, the last couple of years, suddenly launch angle is this great big thing, right? Nobody talked about launch angle yep. when I was a kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Was... And the, the conversation that Ted and uh, crew are having on situational hitting and that Stephen and, and Chris talked about with the swing stuff and whatnot, I mean, you know, is it better to have a pitching staff that is huge strikeouts? If Is it better to have movement? Is it better to have control? I mean, 
Well, I don't know. It sounds great if you had a 10-10-10 guy. That would solve the whole problem. <laughs> yeah, just give me just give me a couple of them, and then we don't have to worry about it. The point there is, is I don't really think if the system is designed even somewhat close to well, I don't think that it is actually possible in this game to have a one strategy wins. I just don't uh, think that that's really possible. There have been ways in the distant past when somebody could actually gain certain things around the development system or whatnot. Mm. Um, I was in a league that one guy actually kind of learned a kind of a magic, um, a magic moment to gather players together. And, mm. you know, one of the ways we fixed that was just by telling everyone what it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. And as soon as everyone knew yep. it, it was kind of like, well, okay, it's no longer a magic button that somebody can use to gain advantage. Uh, right. It's that suddenly everyone is starting to look for that one magic button. And then a year later, the development system uh, was changed because the magic button had been identified and we changed it. Right. So, huh. you know, the, the whole point of the game is being designed to fit baseball mindsets um, and trying to keep it from being a just a pure computer wonkiness thing. I haven't been playing this as long as you and probably some of these guys. So hearing about stuff like that years ago where it took a couple of years to fix and stuff, it's it's interesting stuff. Well, and, and like a, uh, the whole contract thing is uh, is interesting because poor Marcus and Matt for years uh, there, and they will for years, be constantly working on the code for how players value and choose uh, particular contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's extremely complex when you really sit down and start to ask yourselves, how would you write a algorithm that says what a player would value here versus here versus here, and then try to extend that into a world where that logic works for every league right? that could exist? Um, yeah. you really sit down and think about that, I mean, take an hour and, and pretend like you're going to write an algorithm that will work for a player in Japan, in the Major League Baseballs, and uh, the independent leagues, and suddenly you go, okay, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> um, right. So at the end of the day, um, because I have the same things, the, the zero buyout contracts, they're irksome to me. They they offend my aesthetic personality or uh, perspective of what a baseball contract should look like, right? Mm-hmm. But you can go deeper than that as soon as we fix that. Angel D. Castillo signing a $4.5 million contract offends the sensibilities of certain people who think he should get more. Right. Right. That, yeah. That's, that's fine. I think one of the ways that I like to pretend, you know, play that metagame is I think about real life baseball and the way that uh, contracts and negotiations have occurred over real life baseball's time. I mean, back in the sixties, the players did not even want free agency. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, was it Lee Marvin, the, the, guy that had run Detroit auto worker unions for years came into baseball and had to convince the players that wow. free agency was a good thing, right? Wow. Because the players yeah. were worried that they were going to offend the owners so much that they would fire them. Essentially. Right. Yeah. And Kurt, I don't know, uh, Kurt flood lost his career because he challenged uh, the owners and so forth. So it took years for the players to even decide that free agency was something that they were going to go for. And then it took another several years for agents and players to figure out what kind of contracts should be in place. And so every every decade you get in real life baseball, you get contracts that are done differently. The idea of front loaded contracts are fantastic for players in real life. Yeah. If they can work out their tax situations. So if you start looking at 
from that from a code standpoint, I, I don't think in you know four or five years ago in OOTP world, I don't know that front loaded contracts were viewed as positive by players. Right. Whereas they should be without any question. I don't know that front loaded contracts were valued by players in real life until they started getting accountants in to talk to them about, hey, you know, <laughs> there's some actual value if you can do tax stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what what do we know is going to happen? Taxes, they're going to go up. So, of course, you would want it front loaded. If you're going to get 150 million and 75% in the first three years and 25 in the last three, let's just say, you know, it's aggressive, but why wouldn't you take that? And I'm not a tax lawyer, but I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do to defer taxes and things like that in real life that you that OOT players don't necessarily do. So my point is, it's it, the dealing with contracts is a really uh, murky, troublesome thing. You know, the Scott Kingery this year for the Phillies signed a six or seven year, eight year contract, never played a single game of baseball. Yeah. And the Phillies bought out sure. his arbitration and his first free agent year uh, with some options and things like that. We here in the in the BBA would despise that idea because we're worried that players are going to get abused. That's among the first times that something like that has happened in real life. It will be interesting to see if it continues. And if so, how would we respond to that in the BBA? I don't know. Interesting stuff. It's always fun. Always interesting. Uh, you talked about other leagues, right? And and being in other leagues, thought it was interesting. And when I was talking with Kevin about his involvement in the BBA, he was in other leagues. And then he made a comment, something like, after I found the BBA, I didn't need another league. And so now he's just in one. Uh, there's been a board conversation recently about how many leagues different people are in. And I don't think there's a wrong answer as far as I go. Everyone gets their own perspective of things. What are your thoughts? You know, I know you're in other leagues now. What what are your thoughts about um, being in the BBA versus other leagues? Like I said, the history, it doesn't compare to uh, the other leagues I've been in. The other leagues I've been in were newer leagues, but even so, the history isn't kept isn't kept as well. And also, commissioners are great over there in the other leagues, but they don't have the experience Matt does. Um, I wish sometimes there was a little more communication, but I know Matt is a busy man. I think he does a great job here, though. The expansion idea... Like like Kevin said, I think Kevin kind of explained it well, where it's just, I haven't been here as long as him, but it seems like when things are starting to get stagnant, you're like, okay, he, he, he changes it. It's like, and you don't really see it coming. He's like, oh, we're going to do this, guys. And it's like, that's exactly what we needed to do. So I really do like it here. The writing, like I said, it's a lot more writing than I've ever dealt with, but I like it. And a lot more talented writers that I've dealt with as well. Some guys probably don't give themselves enough credit for how talented they are. I agree with that one hundred percent. I think there are people in this um, in this league who um, are worried that what they're writing is is in some way not up to snuff or whatever. And I think that is uh, so much malarkey. I wish I could just grab them and shake them. <laughs> I mean, just write what's on your mind. Like, was it the GM? Did yeah, the GM's corner? You do with Matt, where. The quote was, Charm City sitting at 41 and 26. Is that for real? As soon as I heard that, I'm like, that's a TN. That's a TN right there. It's, he just, he just get, he just gifted me a TN. Thank, you know, thank you. And I just ran with it. And you were even the one, you know, first commenting on it. Honestly, a lot of these podcasts, people could come up with good articles on some of this stuff. If their team gets crushed or if someone gives them compliments, just write about that. There you go. Like I said, I just, I decided to spice it up. Like you said, the 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 oh, it's CTJ that has this many all stars. Yeah, you're right. There's merit in those articles, 
but they kind of get boring to write. And I'll always, you know, and I'll always write them not only to get the TNs, but to keep up with it, like you said, on my page for myself, for other people. But when something like that comes up, where it's just something totally different, it's like perfect. Well, that sounds like a good place to uh, to end. Do you have any other things you'd like to chat about? I think the only thing I want to say is, you know, these GM's corners have been really well done. The guys you've had, you hosting them. Um, and thank you for having me. The Hopefully people like this one as much as the uh, one with Kevin. Because that one, honestly, I think that was my favorite one, the one you did <laughs> last week with Kevin. It was well, really think- good. Yeah, thank you so much, and and I'm sure kudos to Kevin too. I I enjoy every one of them, and uh, I appreciate your comments, and uh, definitely appreciated uh, hearing your thoughts. And uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Sure, let's hear from the other guys first, and I'll definitely be back. <laughs> there you go. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by 28 outstanding GMs. You can check us out at montybrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time, be safe, and always remember, don't trade with Louisville.